What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Forge Your Path podcast. I'm your host, Delaney McGuire. And today I sit down with Akshay Ninavati. And this is an extremely special episode because Akshay is literally one of the people who's impacted my life more than anybody on the planet. And he, it's because he wrote the book, Fearvana. And I read this book when I was trying to figure out, you know, some things in my life that were extremely challenging that I get into. And I was in a pretty tough place and I didn't know what to do. And he, his work has empowered me like infinitely to seek out discomfort and, you know, believe in myself and believe in my potential. And it's essentially the basis for this podcast, sharing stories on overcoming fear, overcoming self-doubt, things of that nature. So we're going to jump right into it. And here is Akshay. All right, everybody. So welcome to another episode of the Forge Your Path podcast. I'm your host, Delaney McGuire. And today I'm sitting down with Akshay Nanavati. And Akshay is the author of one of my favorite and most impactful books of all time, which is Fearvana. Um, and along with that, Akshay is also a Marine Corps vet and is on a mission to run across every single country on the planet. So just let that sink in real quick. Um, but Akshay, uh, welcome. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me, man. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, so I do want to give you an opportunity to usually start off by having people share their story. Um, mm-hmm. But before that, I do want to shed some context into how it all came about and why I'm personally so excited. And that is because, like, you know, it's one thing to say this because it's a podcast, but seriously, your book has probably been the most, if not one of the top, most impactful, you know, things I've stumbled into that has really put me on a course, put me on the course that I'm now on in life. And I found your book a little over a year ago and I was in this weird space where, Mm. you know, I was just stepping out of this. um, I was just like, you know, the grips of this like super toxic party lifestyle were like just starting to loosen. I finally had some clarity, like, man, if I keep going down this path of drinking, um, Mm. things aren't going to look good. And like, I had Mm. extreme hardcore anxiety that just was with me since I was childhood or since Mm. childhood. And I never really dealt with it. And I started like, you know, had this awareness, like, man, things need to change. And I, I started looking at psychology and, I heard you on a podcast and I, I was like, I had this vague concept that like, you know, and I wanted to understand even like my dad was an alcoholic and I was like, you know, looking at that life, I, I kind of, I started to understand like, Oh, it's, it's, you know, fear is a huge part of it. That's why we numb. Mm-hmm. And reading your book really gave me this foundation that helped me understand the brain and my own mind. And then, and then gave me, you know, sort of an action plan or some steps I could take to, start to make change and make sure I wasn't going to go down that path. Um, and it really led me to, you know, small things from where I was a huge player and, you know, just, you know, getting out of that lifestyle. But then, you know, when I learning to use fear as like, you know, to guide my life. So like being scared to start a business, but then committing to it, um, you know, eventually, you know, thinking it'd be so cool to live in a van and travel around the country, even though that's a crazy idea you know, leaning into it and going for it and realizing yeah. Like, yeah. every, you, you never know if you're going to make the perfect choice, but the opportunity yeah. to grow up and yeah. learn from something is huge. Yeah. Um, and even just coming here, like coming to this podcast, like, um, 
having people on to share their stories about like struggle, str- mm-hmm. struggle and triumph. Um, I just think it's so impactful to see that if, if one person can do it, so can everybody else. So yeah, um, I'll stop blabbering, but I just wanted to thank you. <laughs> for the- no, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I'm so, so glad it's made such a big impact for you and I'm honored, man. It always means the world to know that this work is making a difference. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. So with that, um, obviously, like if anyone that has read your book, uh, we'll have some insight into your story. But for those listeners out there that um, are new to your work, could you give us a little backstory on, you know, where you're at now, but especially like, you know, what did the road look like and how did you get here? Sure. Yeah, I'll share kind of what brought me to the work I do now with Fearvana and to the message of Fearvana. I would say it kind of began when I moved to the U.S. at about the age of 13. I was born in India, lived in India, Singapore, moved to the U.S. at 13. Soon after moving here, uh, kind of very lost, not sure who I am, who I wanted to be, got very heavily into drugs, into alcohol, into really a very uh, destructive, self-destructive path. I used to cut myself. I still have scars on my arm from cutting myself, from burning myself, and just did a lot of things that sometimes I'm in awe that I even made it out of that lifestyle. And in fact, I did lose two friends to that lifestyle. So I, you know, it could have very easily been me. Thankfully, though, I watched this movie Black Hawk Down. I don't know if you've ever seen, ever seen that movie? Yes, yes, I have. Yeah, it's a, so it's a war movie based on a true story, a very powerful war movie. And watching that movie and just watching the courage, the, the, the valor of men who give their lives, who sacrifice their lives for somebody else, it just kind of planted a seed in me that what kind of human being would be able to do that. And would I be able to do that? And obviously I didn't really like, I realized I was living this very selfish, meaningless existence and I didn't like that. So I started delving into book after book on military and life in combat and almost overnight stopped doing drugs and decided to join the Marines. It took me about a year and a half to get into the Marines because I have flat feet. I have scoliosis. I have a blood disorder that two doctors told me would kill me in boot camp. So I had to kind of fight my way into the Marines, but it was a post 9-11 environment. So, you know, here's this young, dumb kid wanting to go Marine Corps infantry. <laughs> they found a way, which worked out well for me because I was, uh, I mean, I, I, being a Marine is one of the greatest experiences of my life. And um, in the Marines, I started to find the beauty in adversity, the beauty in suffering, the beauty in pain, because obviously Marine, military training was hard. It was scary. It was challenging. And I started to appreciate the struggle. Uh, and after that, I started looking for new ways to test, test myself and to struggle. So I went mountain climbing, rock climbing, cave diving, skydiving, uh, cross country skiing, you know, you name it, outdoor sports became my playground to kind of explore my fears. And then in 2007, I was deployed to Iraq as an infantry Marine, where one of my jobs out there among many, one of my jobs was to walk in front of our vehicles, looking for bombs before they could be used to kill me and my fellow Marines. So as you might imagine, a somewhat dangerous wow. and... <laughs> stressful job but once again you learn to thrive in the face of adversity and it was a tremendously powerful experience um to experience the human the human condition in a in a a wartime environment it was yeah enlightening and of course challenging and the greatest challenge though was after coming back home when i got back home i i was diagnosed soon soon after that with ptsd struggle with depression with severe alcoholism i mean i got to a point in my life man that i was drinking a bottle a day i would drink a bottle until I pass out and drink again. You know, I've I've had moments where I'd be sitting over the toilet throwing up. And as soon as I stop throwing up, I pick up a bottle and drink more. Like it's horrific, you know, and um, in some pretty dark places until one day after like days of binge drinking, I woke up and was on the verge of walking over to my kitchen to pick up a knife and cut my own wrist. And that, as you can imagine, was kind of rock bottom. 
you know, and that was the moment that I started the climb. It wasn't necessarily a magical smooth ride out from there. I mean, far from it, but that was probably the starting point of my climb out of the darkness. And that's when I started delving deep into neuroscience, into psychology, into spirituality, initially just to heal my own brain and to heal my own demons. But obviously it led me on a far more valuable and meaningful and deeper path to figure out collectively, how do we navigate the experience of human suffering? And that's what led to this ethos of fear of honor and the idea that we can turn our fears into an experience of bliss and enlightenment. We can turn our suffering into something beautiful and it doesn't have to be something negative. So it was a lot of life experience and a lot of research that led to now what I do being an entrepreneur, running ultra marathons and adventure and having this book out there, helping people uh, develop a better relationship to their fears and their pain. Man, that's such a cool story. And I think it's like so powerful to be like it, any person listening can be sitting there and being like, man, things will never change. But when you hear a story of someone that goes from such a, such a low place and then, you know, uses that as fuel, um, to just make change is just, I don't know. It's one of the coolest, coolest things in my mind. Um, yeah. So I think where I want to start in terms of questions, one thing that you kind of opened Fearvana with, and it's something I actually think a lot about, and it's especially just like, you know, coming from a background where you see a lot of pain and suffering in the mm-hmm. world, you, you kind of start mm-hmm. to ask these questions. And the thing you point out is we live in this time in this world where, you know, life has never been better. You know, we, we no longer have so, so much struggle on just doing the regular things. We're comfortable. Um, we have high paying jobs, you know, we're, we're, semi-connected with other people um Mm -hmm. but also anxiety and depression have and other mental health challenges have never been higher so Mm -hmm. um in your mind how does that play out and why why do we all tend to suffer even when our lives look great on the outside yeah you know comfort is paradoxically it, it although we are constantly seeking it in an environment today comfort is our enemy i mean we need it don't we like it's not 24 7 we need to be in discomfort but a life of excess a life of comfort a life of life of greater luxury of, has created more weakness and and it's it softened us it's caused more mental health problems and we are not designed for this world evolutionary speaking our brain is still designed for an archaic world where survival was a constant threat a constant concern so our brain is triggered i mean it it, right now it it turns small things into as if they are life-threatening stressors which is why our brain is our brain reacts and we are constantly in a state of anxiety and and fear and stress because it's designed for a very ancient world it's still, you know, our brain still is like a caveman and cavewoman like brain. Uh, so when you look at how world like life was in these moments of, you know, a hunter gatherer type societies, there was there were the stressors were acute. So I mean, this, again, just as a silly example, but saber tooth tiger attacks you, you run from it or you escape, and now you're chill again. So we sought out comfort because life was so threatening, you know. So we sought out comfort as a relief from stressors, as a relief from a very intense environment and uh, an entire environment that could kill us. But now that's all we have. And we don't have life-threatening, <laughs> life-threatening uh, I mean, granted, separate from sort of the coronavirus uh, situation we find ourselves <laughs> in, but generally, generally speaking, unless again, you're in a war zone or something, you don't have threats to your life on a constant basis. And so we have now the existential burden slash luxury to ponder life, to question life, to understand life, to seek out greater meaning in life. And with this existential burden comes, I mean, with this existential luxury, if you will, comes a burden because now you are no longer worried about survival when you have to only worry about survival. Life is very simple. 
So now suddenly we ask deeper questions, or even if we're not consciously asking them, and in my experience, most people are not consciously asking them, but the questions about why am I here and what we're doing, it leads us down to a darker path, not to mention our environment is very conducive to it. Like in the sense that our, I mean, well, just to qualify, it doesn't have to lead us down a darker path. It can lead us to a beautiful path. And of course there is a value to not being in a survival type situation because that's led to human progress and uh, in, in multiple ways, right? Because if you don't have to worry about survival, you can create new things. So there's obviously pros to that, but in our current environment, we find ourselves in, because we're still looking for comfort, we are constantly making our, trying to make our lives easier and easier and easier. And easier is not better. We need struggle to grow. We need struggle to evolve. I mean, it's like as a simple level, when you work out your muscles, that's how you, you, you stress your muscles and then you recover your muscles, but you need to stress them in order for them to grow stronger. And it's the same thing with the mind and the spirit. But our world today tells us, here's how to get here easiest, right? Like you can get six pack abs in 14 minutes a day or how to make a million dollars quickly and easily. You know, everything is feeding us that it's all about getting to the result in the quickest, easiest way possible. And that is hugely destructive because it misses the point. It's not about getting the six pack abs. It's not get about the million dollars. It's not about the dream relationship, the house, the car, whatever. It's about the person we become on the journey. And that's what matters. But we've kind of lost touch with the journey. Because we have long-term goals to think about, which, you know, archaic man did not have uh, when survival was a concern. You don't think long-term. So now we have that luxury. And as a result, we're no longer living in the present. We no longer appreciate struggle. We no longer are living in a, in a world that struggle is, nece- like, is, is inherently handed to us. And therefore, we struggle more than ever before. I always like to say that if you don't seek out a worthy struggle, struggle will find you anyway. And we're seeing that right now. So I mean, that one more <laughs> quick point about that. It's, it's at the very core of American ethos, the American society is the pursuit of happiness. That itself is a deeply flawed concept because when you pursue happiness, suffering becomes a barrier on the way to that happiness. It doesn't become a part of the journey. Instead of pursuing happiness, what we should be pursuing is meaning. What we should be pursuing is purpose or what I like to call your worthy struggle. That's your path. You know, it could be hosting a podcast, writing a book, playing chess, playing basketball, whatever it may be, pursuing a worthy struggle because anything worthwhile doing is going to be hard. And so that's why I call it your worthy struggle. But And then, then, then when you pursue that, then the suffering, the struggle, the hardship, it just becomes a beautiful part of the adventure, not a hindrance to the end goal of happiness, which is so fundamental to especially not just American culture, but modern culture. And hence, you know, we're suffering more than ever before. Right, right. Yeah, man, I, I absolutely love that. I think... I think it's so true. So it's like, I don't know, in my mind, my mind goes to like, so back home in Chicago, like it's cool. Cause now I've, I've surrounded myself with quite a few people who are, who understand that and have that mindset. But then it's like, yeah, you have these people who, you know, if I look at who my circle was back home in Chicago, it's a lot of people who I went to college with who, who have these jobs and work in Chicago. So they have, a, they have a comfortable salary and yeah. you know, but I wouldn't say many of them have a worthy struggle. It's like a lot of like, oh, you know, we go out, we go out to the, you know, bars and restaurants, we hang out and we watch sports and stuff. It's like, where does that lead? Like, is it possible to have a happy life if you're not searching for struggle? Or like, you know, what are some of the pitfalls and warning signs that we start to see in our lives if we haven't really begun to seek out that worthy struggle? You know, we'll find our great question. We'll find ourselves running away from life more whether it be drinking, drugs, watching TV, uh, binge-watching Netflix, anything to run away from having to confront the reality that we are not uh, 
we are not living our path. We are not fulfilled in the day-to-day experience of life. And I mean, hell, I obviously know this from personal experience, but I see this all the time. Every, any potential avenue to run away from having to confront the self. <laughs> and that's a big one. That's really a big one. And then, you know, if you exercise enough self-awareness and practice it, you start to see some signs that am I really, uh, am I really doing what I was meant to be doing? Am I really doing what I, what's making me come alive, you know? And it's a hard thing to confront. And, and again, that's the nature of pain is we don't, pain is inherently uncomfortable. It hurts. So inevitably, we're going to be looking for a way out of the pain. And now again, remember, we're designed for a world where the pain was, was acute. I mean, so, you know, when, when, when it was life-threatening pain, we are looking for the out of that because the comfort was, was, the, um, was a luxury away from the norm, which was stressors to life. Right now, it's, it's a different world. So we are still, we're still doing the same thing, evolutionary speaking, but in today's world, it no longer serves us. Because we don't have the constant threat, of, we, don't, we don't have pain forced into us by the, by the world in terms of these life stressors. So the only way is to go actually deeper into it, to confront that pain and ask yourself deeper questions. I mean, that's what Nirvana is all about, is pushing people into a self-awareness so, and, and actually embracing the pain, not running away from it. And you learn this again with working out, with ultra running. You know, when you're running 50 miles, 60 miles, you go through deep, intense pain. And the only way through it is to accept its reality and to... Ask yourself, do you want to still keep moving forward and service the mission? So the mission, tra- you learn to transcend the pain to move forward with the mission. But yeah, you got to be willing to go into those spaces. And, uh, and most of us do everything we can to run away from having to confront the reality and, and confront the pain. But if you, the faster you confront it, the faster you'll get on the other side of it. Uh, because if you're not confronting it, it's there. And it's keeping you stuck. And it's, it's buried in your subconscious, keeping you yeah. stuck. It's not, it's not going away. And I think anybody who know anybody who's in that space is going to hear this and resonate with it because I've worked with a countless number of people. I myself have been through it and it's there, you know, you, you can do what you can to run away from it, but it's not going away. It's still buried in your subconscious. So the only way through it is to go into it, to confront it, to be with it. Carl Jung puts it beautifully. He says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. When you when you can sit there and be like, I will die at 80 years old with this same pain and same yeah. fear that I'm running away from. And your option is face it today or deal with it for 70 more exactly. years. Yeah, you're exactly. Good. That's a hard thing to confront, to be to be present to. But like you said, face it today or it's going to hit you anyway. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Super, super cool. So the next thing I'd love to jump to, and this, this just really stood out to me. I was... I was um, pouring back to your book of the other week and you point out something. And then I, when I thought back on my own life, uh, I realized it was actually a huge pivotal part of my transformation and that was seeking out new experiences. So like when I, when I first decided I was going to change just randomly, it was the start of a new year and I saw something on Instagram that was like 52 weeks of adventure. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. I'm going to adapt that. And I'm going to like every week try to do something outside of my comfort zone. And I didn't even really know why I doing it but looking back on it i found that you know that was that was probably one of the key elements to me like getting really just be giving myself space to change and break out of some really deep habits so um could you elaborate on you know how you how you think about new experience and why it's valuable for people who are looking to whether it's like getting out of something some negative habits or it's like i want to create something new um new experience is important yeah, when you go into new experiences, you're stretching your comfort zone, and that builds the muscles for courage, which will then translate into other areas of your life. And because you can't have courage without fear. People often have heard sometimes say fear and courage as if they're two opposite things, but they're not. 
courage cannot exist without fear. If it does, if this thing is not scary, it takes, it takes no courage for me to sit on my couch watching a movie. You know what I mean? It takes, it, it takes courage when the thing scares me. So when you do new things, your brain is asking, is this thing going to kill me? It perceives it as a potential risk and with risk comes fear. And with fear comes the, the, the need to exercise courage in order to move into that fear. So essentially, it's almost like training your courage muscles. And I mean, when I look at where I am today, I wasn't always this way, man. Like I was terrified of Ferris wheels when I was a kid, let alone roller coasters. Yeah, like I was terrified of Ferris wheels, you know? So it, 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 it took me exercising courage one step at a time, doing things like rock climbing, mountain climbing, skydiving, all these things. When I shared some of these adventures that I've done, like spending a month dragging a 190-pound sled for 350 miles across an ice cap in minus 40 degrees, or, you know, uh, uh, rock climbing without rope or climbing mountains in the Himalayas. People think, people have asked me, how are you so fearless? And I've said, I'm not fearless. I do these things because they scare me and they absolutely terrify me. Now, I'm not saying you have to go do all these things. My point is by stretching yourself in your own way, whichever way you choose, you are building the courage muscles. You're evolving. That's how you get more confidence. Confidence is the result of successfully having survived a risk. So you got to take a risk and it doesn't mean risking life. It just means taking some risk that pushes you and then you become more confident and that confidence that you build in one area, it becomes fuel as you step into other areas. And what I mean by that is, you know, I have no idea when I first built my business, I had no idea to build a business today. I have no idea to scale the, in the fear of all empire to the, to the, to the uh, platform and to the way that I want to scale it. But I have confidence in my ability to suffer in my ability to do what it takes that has been developed as a result of doing all this stuff and pushing myself outside my comfort zone. So the value in engaging novelty and engaging risk is that it will stretch you. It will teach you to grow. It will build a stronger mind, a stronger spirit that you can then tap into in other areas of your life as well. That's how you, that's how you uh, grow. I mean, you can't, you can't grow without stress, right? You can't grow without pushing. I mean, if you want something different, if you want something you've never had before, you're going to have to do something you've never done before. And with that comes risk. If you keep doing the same thing you've always done, you're going to get the same results you've always gotten. So you got to take a risk in order to evolve. I love that. It's like you can't get a different outcome if you don't change the inputs. Absolutely. Um, exactly. Yeah. One thing that you just hit on um, with, you know, you, you, you have a vision for where you'd like to take fear of honor and you actually, you, you don't even know, you might not even know how you're going to get there, but you're confident yeah. that you can. And that's something I love and subscribe to also. It's like, you know, and I think it holds tons of people back. I think there's going to be tons of people listening to this that are like, oh, I have this dream that would be so cool, but like, I don't know how to do it. So yeah. when it comes to that and like the idea of progress versus perfection or, it, you know, just yeah. t taking an iterative approach or just the step right in front of you, what do you say to people yeah. who are like, I have an idea, but I, I yeah. don't know exactly how, what it's going to look like? Yeah, a couple of things. You know, for one, if you've never done something before, don't expect to be confident at that thing. This is, I think, a huge mistake that I hear in the personal development world a lot is just be confident in writing your book and building your business. If you've never done it before, you can't be confident. I'm not confident in learning how to scale a business empire. What I'm confident in is my own ability to suffer, which has been developed as the result of all the things that I've done. So you always got to remember one thing is that confidence is the result, not the fuel. Do not expect to be confident as you step into action. And I've, I've worked with so many people. Like I worked with one guy who said, I'm just waiting for the fear to go away. So I'd quit my job and start my business. <laughs> I said, your problem, your, I mean, you know exactly what I'm saying. Like your problem is you're waiting for the fear to go away. It's not going to go away. So don't expect to be confident at something you've never done before. Just you're going to have to step into the fear. That's the only way to grow, you know? So that's kind of one step is recognizing that confidence is a result, not the fuel. The other step is 
you know, that you, you don't like celebrating process over payoff. So falling in love with, and this is where it comes back to our world teaches us to think that we'll get happy when I get there, wherever there is, right? If I get a million dollars, then I'll be happy. If I uh, uh, get the car, then I'll be happy or then my life will be easier. But I'll tell you right now, it doesn't matter whether somebody has zero dollars, hundred dollars, a million dollars or a billion dollars. They all have problems. They just have different problems. So you got to fall in love with the process of engaging problems and systematically engaging problems because knowing that every problem on the other side of that is a new awakening. Like if you don't have a problem that you're engaging, you're not going to grow. And I always like to say contentment is the death of mastery. Like you're, you know, it's okay to be content with what you have, but contentment can coexist with discontentment. Like I love what I have and I'm grateful for it. I'm content for it, but I am relentlessly discontent in that I want more. I want to give more. I want to serve more. I want to create more. I want to be more, you know? So, uh, so you, you kind of balance the dualities of contentment, and discontent, and knowing that you will, you will not be happy when you get there, but you have got to fall in love with process over payoff. And that's simple as like practicing presence, choosing to fall in love with the process, bringing yourself in, like bringing yourself, like when I, for example, me running and working out, regardless of what my physique looks, I don't get me wrong, I can be a little vain and want the six pack abs and all that good stuff. <laughs> but, but I love the process of running, right? It's not just about the mileage, it's about the journey. So kind of falling in love using mantras like process over payoff, falling in love with that, not recognizing that you're not going to be happy when you get there. And just choosing to fall in love. Another great way is always finding mentors, finding coaches to help you along the journey. I mean, that's been a game changer for me because I have a business mentor right now who's built huge $250 million companies and scaled them in Silicon Valley style, which I don't know anything about. So I might not know. I have, and I, not, I, might, I don't know the hundred steps ahead of me, but I know the next two steps, right? So when you fall in love with the process, you can at least take the next step. So planning out, having clarity, where do you want to go? What's the next immediate step? Okay, once I take this step, because then you then the next step will open up. Think of it like driving in a fog, right? You can't see one mile down the road, but as you keep driving in the fog, the next part opens up. So take the next, take the first step. Being that you will be scared, you will have self-doubt. <laughs> you, I mean, I have that all the time, man. Like when I reached out to the Dalai Lama to write the forward for my book, I was filled with self-doubt. Filled <laughs> they're going to hate me. They're going to hate my book. They, why aren't they replying to me like this, that, and the other thing. So you can listen to those voices, but you don't have to be defined by those voices. And you have to step into that. Like you can listen to all the podcasts in the world, read all the books in the world. They might provide a spark, but ultimately the only way you're going to get to where you want to go is you have to go out there and solve. Yeah. hundred percent. That's, that's hilarious. That you say that. And one, I was curious how you got the Dalai Lama to, you know, write, write a quote <laughs> on your book, but I think it's also hilarious because even when I read your book and like, you know, I had this weird spark of like, oh, it'd be cool to reach out and like, you know, just say thank you and like, you know, try to connect with them. Um, I was so full of fear to even just shoot you a message on Instagram and like, here we are because, you know, I, I didn't let you that. stepped into that, man. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Love that. <laughs> we, we all have that, but you don't let the have Most, the problem is most people let that voice define them. They make that voice who they are. But that inner voice is not who you are. Like we are not our thoughts. We are not our feelings. We are not our experiences. We are, there's a space between that. So we are the thinker of our thoughts, the feeler of our feelings, and the experiencer of our experiences. And recognizing that space will shape your destiny. And man, I still go through dark moments. I still have moments of doubt constantly. And I'm like, cool, it can be there. And I'm a human being, so sometimes it can consume me, but I'm very good at pretty quickly realizing, oh, yeah, yeah, wait, hold up. This is just a thought. This is just a feeling. This is not mm. me, right? myself from it and be like okay what's the what's the picture what's the mission that i got to move forward and i mean marines is a great example in the marines nobody cares about how good you feel (laughs) 
What matters is your men and the mission. So you, if, you, if you have to go on a mission today, it doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not. And that's really life. Get clarity on your mission and whether or not you feel like it, whether or not your brain is saying you feel the doubt, you go do it anyway. And the more you do that, the more you put yourself in circumstances like, circumstances like that, the more you will build that ability to keep moving forward on the mission and staying in the fight. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think just for some like really some tangibility for everyone listening, it's like, you know, if you're just a, you're just a person working a job in Chicago, but like you, you have a commitment that you want to lose 10 pounds. And, you know, that idea of working out in the morning might be attached to fear. But someone yeah. who someone who's gone through and not necessarily to the extent that you have, but like, you know, if you're able to cultivate that if you're able to cultivate that sense of being that like, you know, just like understanding about yourself that, you know, I, and knowing that I can get through whatever's in front of me today, no matter how crappy you, you feel when you wake up in the morning, you can get yourself through it. But it's like, it's not the actual act of working out. It's our interpretation of it and how we think about it. And the other person who hasn't cultivated that might just be like consumed by that fear. Yeah. I mean, under, and understandably, and so like the, the, the key is like, let go of the judgment you have. Because a lot of people, when they have the fear, when they have the anxiety, I've worked with people in a variety of contexts, the problem is rarely their fear or their anxiety. The problem is their judgment. They think of themselves as weak, as pathetic, as this, that, and the other thing for having the fear, having the anxiety. You know, I worked with one guy who was traveling to Iceland on his own for a vacation. It was a very chill vacation, but he was scared. It was the first time going alone. And he started beating himself up a feeling fear because especially hearing my story, right? He was like, oh my God, you've done all these things. Like, why am I scared? And what I have to tell him is to your brain, it doesn't matter whether you're going to Iceland alone or whether I'm going into a war zone. The only reason for me, I go in Iceland alone is not scary because I've done other things that my brain no longer perceives as a, as a risk. So it's not that I'm any braver. I've just had these experiences that have changed where my brain shows fear. But fear is fear. The content of that fear, how it shows up is irre- irrelevant. So when you can let go of the judgment of and, and this guy, you know, stop saying that, oh, I'm weak because I'm feeling scared of going to Iceland on my own. Just saying instead, all right, I'm feeling fear. Cool. Like own it, you know, own it. Like, and, and don't beat yourself up of feeling that fear and then say, great, what can I do with that? So what can you do with that? One of the things I always like to say is fear propels you to prepare. If you engage the fear, fear propels you to prepare. So in the book, you remember that I talk about that exercise, you know, asking yourself, why am I scared? What am I scared of? What's the worst case scenario? Understanding the fear. I mean, even writing a book on fear, and I'm the fear of honor guy, I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified that it would be a bad book. Nobody would like it. I'd get a one-star review on Amazon, this, that, and the other thing, right? Like all that, all those thoughts. But what did I do? I studied from great authors. A mentor of mine is Jack Canfield, the Chicken Soup the Soul author. I studied from them. How do you write a good book? So by because I was scared of writing a bad book, I wrote a good book. And I say that not with arrogance, but with humility, knowing that it's out there now making a difference. Um, and you know, I have enough feedback at this point to validate that comment, but I only re- did that because I was scared. If I wasn't scared, I would have just put something out there. So fear is something beautiful. It can lead to, like, I was like, also, another thing I could say is that fear is not the enemy of love. Fear is an expression of love, even though they're often framed as opposites, right? People say fear and love are the only two ways of being. Yeah. I think that's a flawed concept because it demonizes fear. Anything that demonizes fear demonizes and we do this in the world all the time like we say there's bad emotions right fear stress anxiety guilt they're bad emotions they're not bad emotions they're just emotions they're perhaps more challenging emotions but they're not bad they are whatever we make them so fear can be the most beautiful expression of love which in my case writing my book was like 
because I was scared, it ended up being this most beautiful expression of love that is now making an impact. We're donating all the profits to charity. So I, tru- I it's like, I mean, that book is like my baby, right? Like it's, it's the truest expression of my love. And, and that was a result that spawned from fear, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. And I think, in, you know, I've, I've been actually wrestling with this a little bit in preparation for this because I've sort of been on a love tear. I've been reading all these books on love and stuff. And I'm like, man, yeah, everyone does position fear as being like this, this yeah. negative thing. And it's like, I don't want to yeah. be in this fear scare place of scarcity. Um, but I, I think there's like, yeah, the way you're describing it is, is a bit different because it's not about like, I think the way I've come to understand fear in, you know, some of these books I've read, it's like, it, it's a state of, oh, I'm small. I'm, you know, focusing on myself. I'm letting my ego take over. But like what you're describing, it's like you leaning into your fear, you know, if you were truly being selfish and scarcity and small, you would just stick to your little life and just do things that served you and made you feel good and comfortable. But you're like, no, you know it's that sign of greatness, that sign of like, yeah. you know, lifting up other people on your shoulders and re- literally reducing the suffering in the world by taking on something that scares you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can't, I mean, <laughs> if, if the goals, if your goals don't scare you, you should be aiming higher. They should be scary. <laughs> Everything I do terrifies me, man, from the adventures that I have planned to the business that I will, the, the business, the level of business that I want to get to, to, I mean, everything It always terrifies me and I love it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, that's so cool. So a few other things I'd love to touch on with you. And one of them that I thought you, you described so beautifully is the idea of the subconscious mind and our belief system in tandem. Like, because this is something that when I, when I first stumbled into these ideas, I don't think it was through your book. I think it was on YouTube, but you know, Mm. I think for most people, like it, it can be pretty abstract and Oh, maybe even a little woo-woo and like, why should I care about these things? Why are they important? They're like a little tough to understand, but it was reading your book that like, really, I was like, Oh, okay. Now I get it. Like it was described just very fundamentally on one, how impactful are these things in our life and how they dictate our life outcomes. And, you know, once we're able to wrap our brain around them and how they work, like how do we leverage them to make transformation? Yeah. Yeah. And by then you mean like our subconscious uh, and our belief systems? Yes, yes. How can we how can got we it. sort of hack them? Yeah, got you, got you. So the first thing is to kind of recognize that we don't control what most most of what happens in our brain. So our subconscious just learns to respond and react to the world, and we are primed with ways about how to think about the world, on how to respond to the world from the moment we are born. Right. So where is our most of our beliefs formed from our parents and the world we were raised? You know, I mean, little things like, OK, I mean, this is a very small example, but how do how am I able to walk up to a door and not think about what to do? I just I don't have to think about how to open a doorknob. Right. <laughs> or even at this point, walking, walking. I mean, when we're first when we're, when we're babies, we have to we'll, we'll think about it, walk, fall. Right now, I don't think about every step I take. It's automated. So as we learn, our subconscious learns to do things that become on autopilot. So it's really important to recognize that we don't control most of what happens in our brain. And like right now, for example, if I'm sitting, I'm sitting in this room, if somebody comes into this room right now with a gun, my brain is going to feel fear. I'm not choosing to feel fear. It's going to feel fear. So recognizing that we don't control most of what happens in our brain then allows us the freedom to not be defined by that. So as I was touching on earlier, you know, right, most of people will say, 
uh, will be identified to their emotions. So I've worked with people who have mental health issues. They'll say things like, I have depression. I am depressed. Instead of saying things like, my brain goes through a state of depression from time to time, but I am not my brain and my brain mm. is not me. We, be we become identified with our subconscious when we actually have no control over our subconscious. So that's kind of crazy to think about, right? Like, why would I, if I have no control over this thing, why would I let this thing define me? Why would I let this thing shape who I am? So recognizing we don't control it is the first step to then seizing control over consciousness. And probably one of the most profound quotes, it's one of my favorites that I quote in uh, Firvana as well, is from the psychologist Peter Uspensky, who says, man is a machine, but a very peculiar machine. He's a machine that when recognizing he is a machine, can cease to be a machine. And that's kind of the essence of what it's about, is like recognizing that I have this machine brain that is just responding to the world and creating meanings to things, showing me how to, uh, you know, creating belief systems uh, about everything and has these emotions that I don't control, that, uh, that, is, that, that I am not defined by that. And recognizing that this machine exists, I can then step outside of it. So a really good way to think about it is, you know, neuroscience and spirituality have both validated this. So neuroscience has shown we don't control what most happens in our brain. Spirituality says the same thing. So Buddha says we are all stabbed by the two darts of suffering. The first dart is the one we don't control. So if I stub my toe against a door, for example, the first dart is the pain in my toe. The second dart is when I start saying things like this door is stupid, God hates me, why do bad things only happen to me, this house is stupid, I'm an idiot, all that self-talk. And it's the same thing that happens with our emotions. So I could go rock climbing with somebody and this happened, this is a true story. You know, I went rock climbing with somebody and she felt fear, I did not. Not because I was any braver, but because I had done so many harder climbs that my brain looked at this particular climb and said, you know what, that doesn't warrant fear. She felt fear. So that's the first dart. The second dart is when we got back from the climb and she started saying things like, oh, what's wrong with me? You know, you weren't scared. I was. How, how, how am I going to be able to do this? You know, why am I so weak? And that self-talk that we all know. <laughs> so I call this second dart syndrome. Pausing to notice the second darts is everything. The more you can prevent yourself from going down that spiral of second dart syndrome, the, the greater you will be able to separate yourself from your thoughts, your feelings, and your emotions, and choose how you want to respond to them instead. Uh, so like I can feel fear when this person shows up in the house with the gun, if this would happen, that's the first dart is the fear. The second dart is what do I do with it, right? And you have to pr practice developing that space between the first dart and the second dart. And that's, that's things like meditation, simply pausing to recognize awareness. So when you're feeling a state of a challenging emotion, notice it, ask your journal about it, like build a space. I mean, neuroscience has shown the simple act of labeling an emotion. So even if I pause and say, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling scared, that simple act actually reduces activity in the emotional parts of your brain and increases activity in the parts of your brain related to focus and awareness, the prefrontal cortex, the human brain, as I like to call it. So simply labeling that can start building that space between the emotion and you as the uh, higher self beyond that emotion. And then a big step is you need clarity on what to do with that. A big reason why people get defined by their emotions is because, okay, uh, let's say I've gotten aware of my fear, but now what do I do with it? That's where it comes into pursuing your worthy struggle. Like, what's your path? Having clarity. If you don't have clarity, then we get lost in the paradox of choice. Too many choices, too many options. I don't know what to do. You know what? I'll do nothing. I'll just retreat to the easiest course of action. So if you have clarity on your path, then you'd be, you have something to move forward into. You have something to channel that fear into. And that's really, really important as well. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, when it comes to that second dart syndrome, I think that, I think that is so interesting, like how it's played out in my life. I think when I, when I first read that, um, 
I remember I used to deal with really challenging social anxiety and it was that exact thing. It was like, man, I, I, I came to this realization. I was like, man, you know, like if I'm in a social situation and like, you know, one, how come one person can see like a really attractive woman and one person can get really scared, but the other person can have so much confidence to go and talk to them. It's like not objective mm. person. But if, if you have that awareness to, to feel that fear come up and, re, and, and you have this context that you just described that it's not the objective thing, but it's just, it, it's our programming. You can realize, Oh, you know, this, this feeling has come up based on a childhood experience. Something that happened in my past. It's not tan. It's not real. It's not me. And I can choose. Yeah. I want to respond. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. We don't have to define, uh, define ourselves and simply embracing the emotion, whether it be social anxiety, anything, and just pausing, recognizing it. And then, you know, like I said, fear propels you to prepare. So engaging it, understanding what, what's creating it, what you can do, many actions you can take to step into that fear. And many actions is really important. You know, I call it your zone of fear, Vana, where you want to stay in the right zone where it challenges you enough to push you, but not too much to paralyze you, you know? So exactly what you said, man, like recognizing it's not you and then taking small little steps to engage it. That's awesome. So I want to ask you one last question about fear, Vana. And this is something that, you know, it, it's maybe a little counterintuitive to like the whole, well, I wouldn't say that because you actually do talk about it in your book, but um, so I, after reading a book, I, I totally lived it. Like I was, I remember I went to Ireland with my stepdad and it, I had just finished the book and I was like, I'm going to practice this so hard. And like, you know, we, we went hiking one day and like the biggest mountain in Western Ireland, I was like, I'm just going to run up it. And I don't, give, I don't, I don't care. I'm going to run up it like and not stop. <laughs> so stuff like that. And then like, you know, getting over social anxiety, I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the bars and like talk, like going to go up and talk to every girl there, blah, 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 whatever. And all that stuff was good. And I, I made, a, I overcame a lot of stuff, but then I also, yeah. you know, just doing others readings and delving into spirituality, you know, I did come to this thing where I was like, Firvana can for sure help you transform and help you grow through like through doing and through action. But I also had this other like balancing sense of like, sometimes we use doing and like achieving things as sort of a way to, to validate ourselves. So I think I was finding myself like, Oh, you know, I'll be like, and this gets kind of like deeper, I guess, but it's like, you know, I, I wanted to like prove to myself that I was like, you know, worthy and like yeah. a worthy human being, worthy of love, worthy of connection, worthy of other people. Yeah. So I was trying to seek this external validation. So I actually like found I needed to take a little step back from all the doing yeah. and just learn how to yeah. cultivate a self-love practice. And you do talk about it in your book. Yeah. So could you describe a little bit about, you know, what is that balance of like, sure, it's great to like achieve greatness, but it, acknowledging yeah. that it's just because you achieve doesn't mean like, like you said, you can have a $1 or a billion dollars and it's not going to make you happy. Um, yeah. you know, why is it so important yeah. that we come from a place of like worthiness if we're going to achieve? Yeah, no, it's a great question and great point, you know, so you got to, it's all something I call the duality, right? I call it this the singular duality. So there's all these dualities in life, uh, ego, humility, darkness, light, death, life, you know, all kinds of different fear, nirvana, two seemingly contradictory forces that are actually complementary. So even with the doing, you want to balance the doing with the being, you know, because like you said, sometimes the, even the quote unquote positive things we're doing, like, you know, they might not be drinking or drugs, but even working or working out. And I've experienced this too. I was doing a lot of these intense adventures, like skiing across an ice cap, but back 
then. I was just doing it to run away from myself. And I was, I mean, I wasn't aware of it then, but I am very aware of it now. So you want to take time to practice stillness, to go deeper within. I mean, I think, I think you know that I spent seven days in pitch darkness, isolation, and silence. Basically, for that reason, I wanted to go deeper into stillness, go deeper within, and just see what shows up, you know? And it's the same, even the duality of like sort of significance externally. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It can be dark if you drive it, like drives you too far, but we are social creatures. So like it or not, you know, human beings, evolutionary speaking, are social creatures. We're going to seek some sort of validation. It doesn't have to define you, but if you're aware of it and stop trying to demonize that also, like, again, we demonize that, right? You should never seek. It's okay to do that, but just balance it with some healthy inner love and, and everything coexists, you know, at one. Like I love being, I love doing podcast interviews. I love being acknowledged for my work. It makes me feel good. I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't, but at the same time now where I'm at, I don't need that to define who I am. You know what I mean? So you kind of balance that by engaging stillness as well. Just practicing going deeper within at a level that you find and create who you really choose to be. You find the essence of the human spirit when, when you go within and, you kind of recognize that that human spirit doesn't have to be defined by external validation. And while the ego and while part of you may still seek that from time to time, that doesn't mean it's wrong. It just is tempered. It's just uh, ego again. It's not a bad thing. Like if you want to be great, you have to believe you're great. Mm. Like athletes are the perfect example of ego. You know, Tom Brady, when he was selected with Patriots, he told the owner, I'm the greatest decision this uh, organization's ever made. Muhammad Ali used to say, I'm the best in the world. You know, I mean, they own their ego because they choosing to pursue greatness at their craft. So ego is not inherently bad. Like everything, it can be bad if you, if it controls you. Mm. So, I mean, I love, I love that you asked that question and yeah, you know, you can do things at some point to prove to others, to even prove to yourself. And then, and then eventually you'll get to a point where you say, you know what, I don't need to prove to myself. I am worthy just for being, just for being in the, the, the experience. And that can coexist. Like you can recognize that. So I still do intense things because I love testing myself, but I'm not doing it. From, I'm doing it from a very different level of consciousness than I was seven years ago when I was doing it to prove my own worth to myself, prove it to others. I'm now doing it less to prove, but more to seek, if that makes sense. You know, just to seek something, to seek a greater awakening, to seek a greater insight, not to prove something even to others or to myself. Uh, and like I said, part the time, from time to time, it shows up that I need to prove something to myself. And I'm okay with that, though. So it's balancing the duality, uh, taking time for stillness, acknowledging that all sides of the duality, there is no bad and good, despite what the world frames. You know, like people frame ego is bad content like discontentment is bad we should be content all the time and no same thing contentment discontentment co can coexist even darkness and light you know if you look at demons or divinity is another duality that i like to confront a lot people will say our demons are the enemy they're not our enemy we can make our demons work for us as a quick very concrete example of that i have a poster of my friend that i lost in the war up on my wall well for a long time i had it only recently i changed the words but i had it on the up on my wall saying this should have been you earn this life so my demons, my darkness of that survivor's guilt that I hadn't done enough in the war became fuel to drive me. It became my ally. So, you know, there's no bad or good. It's just it all coexists. And we find when we truly find the oneness in all that is, that's the uh, access point to the next spiritual awakening. So I love that you asked that. And I think you got to yeah. balance the two and you got to find where yeah. you are on that. And means, and sorry, one quick point is just that also means that you have to go into those spaces only by exploring the edges of the human experience will you find where you are on those on that duality you know so going into those edges will teach you more about yourself and the human condition than anything that's else. so true and i think you know I, I love how you like you know vulnerably share that like that's that's a deep thing to 
to feel and to share that like this should have been you but and that's like a dark feeling and i'm sure that's you know i assume that's like kind of the root of a lot of that you know alcoholism and stuff that you, you had felt um mm-hmm. yeah because that same can drive you into exactly i mean that same feeling drove me into alcoholism but that same feeling drove me into right. writing my book you know so it's how how we view it and it's the relationship we build to our darkness to our demons not the demons themselves right and i think i think that actually parallels with another great point you make in Fiervana, which is like it talks about purpose and finding purpose and it's like um you know for the average person I was trying to make it relatable. It's like not everyone has like a defining traumatic experience. Like while you do see that people who make a lot of people that make huge yeah. impact in the world do come from a place of like, they, they chose to find meaning in their life because they had suffering and the suffering would kill them if, if they didn't find a way to harness it. Um, but I think a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of people struggle with purpose and you make a point in your book that it's not about finding your purpose. It's about developing purpose. So it's like, you know, there's still a place to start with everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so the, 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 the kind of point that I make is it's not about finding your passion. It's about developing your passion and seeking, chasing purpose. So you might not, there, there's people who know that at a very young age, right? Like Tiger Woods knew that he, <laughs> he was, he was cultivated by uh, to playing golf by his father, who was a golfer, you know? So if you know at a young age, great, good for you. I did not, you know, there's, <laughs> I only really discovered the path I'm on now. It's almost when I was 33, 32. So it took a while to get there. So wherever you are, that's kind of okay. And once again, starting with not sort of beating yourself up about it and then looking for, you always want to start. So I always like to, to that point, it's not about chasing passion. Don't follow your passion, follow your effort, follow your struggle. I always like to say that it's not, it's not about which passion you want to follow, but which struggle are you willing to endure? Because at any path you choose, at any crossroads, you know, stay in this relationship, be single, uh, build this business, work a job you hate. Any crossroads, there will be struggle. You know, eat, eat, this, eat unhealthy or go to the gym, right? Every crossroads. So the question is, which struggle are you willing to endure? Don't, and then once you choose a struggle to endure, you will develop passion as you get good at something. When you get better at something, then it starts to feel good. Mm. Then you want to keep doing it. You know, when you start seeing results. Then you keep doing it. So you will develop passion. Uh, and that's what it's about is chasing the struggle. And a great way to also just kind of find your purpose on that note is just work backwards from the future, not forward from the present. So what I mean by that is, you know, look at people who are living a lifestyle that you want to create and start start listing out what are the things you don't want in your life. It's, we, often we're clear on what we don't want than what we do want. So, you know, some, not everybody, let's say, wants to travel and climb mountains, obviously, right? <laughs> so you start knocking out what are the things I don't want. And then you start getting a little clear on what are the things I do want. And then once you get a picture of what this lifestyle looks like, start looking for people who are living that lifestyle and start narrowing down what are potential jobs or roles that will get me there, you know, and then you start getting sense. Okay. How do I, what, what path will get me there? Then you start looking for mentors. Who's living that? How, what are they doing? How are they doing it? How, like who, what are their ways of thinking that are getting there? What's their belief system? And then you start embarking upon that path and you chase that struggle and then you decide and then you i mean it's going to be hard so don't pretend like it i mean don't expect it to be easy because if you do you're just you're setting yourself up a failure so chase the struggle and then pursue it and then get better at it then pursue mastery at that craft and you know maybe it'll get to a point you'll ch- chase this long enough like for example i joined the marines at one point wanting to go career marine i'm out of the marines now but i have no regrets you know so i have no regrets about joining but it wasn't ultimately my path so you 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 pursue it and then you see if this ultimately is and you don't quit because it's a struggle. Like if you quit just because it gets hard, you're going to quit everything you do. 
but you pursue it long enough to see it. Maybe this, is this the path? Is this a, is this going to get me there? You know? And then you, you kind of figure stuff out along the way you, but you got to, you got to go out in the front lines. You got to experiment to, yeah, to understand. Yeah, that's important. And that's, that's something I've definitely struggled with is like feeling you, you almost feeling, feel like you need to hold yourself accountable to an absolute. Like when you get, if you, if you buy in so hard, it's like, oh man, like I, I need to keep pushing on this path, but no, sometimes it's okay to pause, reevaluate. And if, 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 if this is not the yeah, path for yeah. you, it's, it's okay to pivot. But no, I think, yeah. I think, I think you hit on something that's really key and not a lot of people inherently feel is like, if you want to learn a new skill, start something new and you need to be able to like zoom out and see that bigger picture and knowing, like, I think it's so powerful what you said about like knowing that the more you practice, the more you're going to enjoy it. Because like, if I want to learn how to become a really good cook yeah. and I think I like watching cooking shows. So like, I'm interested in cooking, but I try to, I try to make a meal and it overwhelms me. If I'm only living in this snapshot of time yeah. right now, I'll decide screw cooking. This is dumb. Uh, I'm just going to go back to eating McDonald's dinner every day. But, re- yeah. but, ha- but realizing and being able to zoom out and, and it's, it's that thing you talk about growth mindset in the book. It's like, if you can cultivate a belief and a knowing yep. that you have the full potential to become literally anything you want because it's already out there, it exists. And if you can just, all you have to do is learn the roadmap and learn, just basically replicate. If you can put in the work to go replicate and see yeah. that literally anything you want out there has been done um, or can be built upon, it's, it's a really empowering you know, way of seeing the world. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing to kind of also echo on that is you also want to cultivate some degree of pragmatism about it. Like, I'm not going to be the next NBA star, no matter how hard I try. That's very true. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, yeah. So, uh, so to your point is like exercise, like understand, you know, we are all born with certain genes. So there's realities, but but the point is, so understanding that, you know, I, I'm no matter how hard I try, I'm not going to go into the PGA now. I'm not going to become the next NBA person. I'm 35 years old. It's just not gonna happen. But I know that I can, I might not even be the best runner in the world, but I can cultivate effort to keep pursuing it. Right. So you have to exercise that pragmatism and about where you want to go. And that's each person's journey, but also recognizing and cultivating exactly what you said about the growth mindset that I can grow. I can get better by cultivating effort at this thing. And then you, then you, then you choose that thing with some degree of, you know, uh, conscious awareness on what that thing is. Uh, like, again, I'm not, if I, if right now I chose to be the next Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan or something, it'd be stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So you choose that with an understanding of the, of the world and then you, whatever, then the path you choose, then you, then you step into that growth mindset and say, all right, you know what? I'm going to cultivate and become better at this and pursue mastery until the day I die. So with the things I do, I, I know I'll never be the fastest runner in the world, but I don't care because that's not my goal, you know, for the running I do. Same thing with business. Like anybody can grow at that, that kind of stuff or anybody can run, you know, barring obviously physical, serious physical defects. So you can pursue those things and get better with effort cooking. Exactly that, right? You can get better at that with effort. So you kind of understand the, the craft you're pursuing and uh, where you fit into that along the uh, with a, with a sense of understanding on what that craft is like and what it takes. Totally, to totally. And not to drag the point out too much further, but I do think, um, I think something that's at least I found really interesting when, when you start to cultivate a practice of like meditation and journaling, you're no longer like at, at a certain point you stop really questioning or like, you know, reaching outward. It's like that purpose, it comes from within you. And maybe that's a really spiritual statement, but I, mm-hmm. I'd be curious if you felt the same way. It's you just have yeah. a knowing like this is, this is what I meant to 
this is how I define my goals. Like I don't need to look external and try to copy other people. It's like, you kind of just feel that like, this is, this is the path for me. This is the goal for me. And I, and you start to feel really confident at the more stillness you stillness you practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I love the way you put it. And I think part of it is the duality again, right? Like I can look to other, and Bruce is a great example of this. You know, he took from many different martial arts to create his own. So you take from those who, let's say I can take from a runner, I can take from that I admire, an entrepreneur that I admire, an author that I admire. I can take the lessons, athletes that I admire, and I can take from them and then cultivate my own and go within. So it's the duality of external and internal that kind of coexists. And they both have their place. I mean, not like I've heard sometimes in the spiritual world, people say uh, that everything you need to know is within you. And I think that's a flawed concept because everything you need to know is not within you. <laughs> you know, you learn from outside, even from when we're born, we learn how to talk from external forces. We learn outside, but we learn a ton inside as well. So it's, they coexist. The, the, the duality of, co- of external internal coexist. And you got to find the fine line because I, I love what you said that, you know, you go within and you know, this is your path, regardless of, sort of what other people tell you or, or how things, but you can just learn from yeah. others along the way, you know, and, uh, but balancing that duality is essential. So yeah, like right now I know, I know within that this is who I'm meant to be and what I'm, what my path love is. love that. So last question for you and then we'll wrap up. So just, you know, I, I think one of the coolest things about the opportunity to interview is like literally the same thing with growth mindset. It's like, you're sitting here, we're hearing your story and just leave, leaving people feeling empowered and seeing that like, you know, even people who have achieved really great things at the end of the day, they're all human. And it's just like applying these frameworks. So like, what's something, what's something that you're dealing with now? Like what's your next mountain to climb and how are you going about addressing it? Uh, the big one is building the Fearvana empire. Uh, so I'm creating what I'm doing with Fearvana is building out like multiple verticals, Fearvana fitness, Fearvana Academy, Fearvana festivals, Fearvana retreats, Fearvana foods, Fearvana clothing line. So basically kind of what Richard Branson built with Virgin, I'm building with Fearvana, but unlike Virgin, I'm not looking to get into mobiles or airline, staying in the space of sort of mastery over mind, body, spirit. So building that Fearvana empire is daunting and terrifying. <laughs> uh, so that's one thing. And then the big adventures I have planned as well, like skiing across the Patagonian ice cap, going to the North Pole, going to the South Pole, climbing more mountains in the Himalayas. I kind of, so my two worlds are kind of adventure and entrepreneurship. And in both avenues, I have uh, big, ambitious, audacious goals and working on it, man. That is absolutely incredible. <laughs> I am very excited to follow that uh, follow that storyline and see where this all goes. Because, you know, from what I've seen so far, you, you're bro. capable of so much and you're an inspiration to so many people out there. And um, again, just like, you know, really, really grateful for everything you've done up to this point. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I'm just glad it's out there making a difference. That means um, all right, cool. So lastly, um, where can people find you if they want to learn more? Obviously, you got the book out. Is Amazon the best place for that? And then you've got social yeah. media as well? Uh, yeah, so social media, uh, Instagram, YouTube is Fearvana. The book is on Amazon and Kindle, Audible, Paperback. All the profits, as I said, go to charity. So we support some, support some really beautiful causes. Uh, then you can find me at Fearvana, that's F-E-A-R-V-A-N-A, Fearvana.com, where I have a lot of trainings and programs that go deeper into the teachings of Fearvana to continue to help you cultivate that mindset of mastery. So uh, I have some programs online to go that go kind of extend that extend on the teachings in Fearvana. So yeah. Sweet. Actually, thank you again so much. And um, 
hope you have a great rest of your day, man. Thank you so much for joining. All right, guys, so I hope you really enjoyed that episode with Akshay. I know I got tons out of it personally. Um, and I think it's just such a, such a cool story that he shares. You know, if you're at home and you are, you've got an idea, you, you either want to create some new business or bring some new idea into the world, and you're scared, whether it's of like, you know, will people judge me? You know, am I good enough? Will it fail? You know, Fearvana is such a good framework for learning, learning how we can harness fear rather than letting fear control us. And, you know, Akshay has literally defined and created so much global impact by harnessing fear. And when we learn how to make it our ally rather than our greatest opponent, you know, we, we become, you know, we become something completely, completely different, completely empowered. Um, so I urge you, if you haven't read his book, pick it up on Amazon. Um, you know, it's a best-selling book on Amazon. So clearly, a lot of people are getting quite a bit of value out of it. And additionally, I do want to just remind you all that uh, I've recently launched a free uh, coaching course on my website. So if you're interested in making a life transformation, um, you head over to forgeyourpath.co slash course. Um, and, and essentially, this breaks down, you know, quite a few life coaching principles um, that really guide you through understanding, you know, what we talk about in this podcast around limiting beliefs in our belief systems and our unconscious brain, how we can leverage that motivation and habits, um, you know, create a vision and then, you know, a daily and weekly action plan um, for achieving results and achieving outcomes. Essentially, it's a, it's a roadmap to create that life you really want for yourself. So that's over at forgeyourpath.co slash course. And with that, I will catch you all later. Adios, people.